well done for tuning in because I know there's a lot of uh, live broadcasts on live streaming and there's several I would be liking to watch right now anyway but this uh, the subject of this is uh, fairy stories in May now with this I'm not really going to go into the things like the Grimm's fairy stories or the Eddie Lenehan type of thing because they do such a wonderful job and uh, Eddie especially and the other storytellers go and see what they say about me what I'm going to be covering is not going to be really related to them it's really going to be a kind of foundation to the landscape and the settings that these stories may well have been created from we are really in that kind of season of Beltane, Beltane, Bilton, Bielton Beltane, whichever way you'd like to pronounce it. And it is one of those times that they say where the veil between the two worlds, this and the other world, are at the thinnest and the other being Sawan. Now a lot of people are more familiar with the Sawan because there's celebration for the ancestors, reverence for the ancestors, as if we're entering into that time of the underworld where the debris of the harvest and the year before it's as if it goes underground and there's a whole reweaving process of life that takes a few months and then we come to this time and today uh, here in Karakrori I'm not roaming around because I don't have a camera person but this is the day that the hawthorn flowers are just about blossoming by the end of the day I can imagine they'll be wide open and I'll probably try and put a few photos up and so whereas the Sawan is our kind of celebration of reverence for our ancestors this is like reverence for our descendants the people that are about to become the people that haven't been born yet and this is what I'm going to focus on uh, during this time this whole fertility and uh, being uh, born and I feel certainly the fairy world the fae world the she world uh, has a lot to do with that. Uh, one of the things to look at is, I imagine people watching here, one of the things you're enchanted by is some of these dramas that come on uh, based on some of the mythology stories. Uh, things like the Vikings and the very short run uh, of the Arthur uh, series Camelot. And also, of course, Game of Thrones. And in these series, there's battles and lots of fighting. And if there's not fighting, they're having some sort of council to have a treaty and try and stop the fighting. But that only takes up a part of the drama. The moment they've stopped fighting, what are they doing? They're bonking. They're bonking, uh, rumpy pumpy, whatever you like to call it. And uh, that seems to be quite an important part of it. And even in traditional songs, when people sing the traditional songs, the content of the songs are either people going into battle and being triumphant, or it's people in battle that are missing their home, or it's their wives and the family back home missing the person that's gone on a ship, has gone away for battle. And that takes a lot, and a lot of those are very sad songs and stories into songs. But what else is in the tradition? Songs about bonking, songs about rumpy pumpy, and so forth. And in order to get descendants, what do we have to do? We have to do some rumpy pumpy. So the whole thing of fertility is so important uh, for the continuation. And in the times of the mythology, 
there wouldn't have been birth control pills, there wouldn't have been Jurex. So of course the the mating, that and whatever way it happened, would have turned into some sort of fertility. But of course, this uh, time of uh, Beauten and Beltany is not just the fertility and the continuation of ourselves. It's also the time that the seeds are sown, the plants are put out, and that we have a reverence and prayer and attention and calling for blessings that there will be a good harvest. It's the time the buzzlies, the bees, the butterflies and all the flying creatures are going from flower to flower and spreading the pollen and creating the fertility that way. There's all kinds of um, reverence for that. But in, in order to uh, go to the start of fairy stories, though I would say that perhaps all life on this planet came from the fairy world, when we go into folklore story, as you're perhaps familiar, it often starts with the fairy race, the Tour de Donnan. Now I'm not going to really go into the Tour de Donnan because although they were uh, a tribe uh, of fantastic sciences, of observation, uh, of art, even genetics it seems if you take all the tales, they certainly had their share of the battles. Obviously with the Firbolgs was the first one they go, but they formed an incredible symbiotic relationship because they were there with their teaching, they had the language, they, they had the signs, they could read the skies, they could read the weather, and the pastoral uh, in bulk, this was all very useful because they would look after the cows, they would look after the fields, and so it formed into a wonderful relationship. And then we got the bit of a ado with the Fomorians, and uh, the Fomorians, it seemed to have a lot of similarities to to uh, do it, <laughs> and there's lots of heroes and so forth, and wonderful characters in the story. But moving on for that, because the whole Fomorian story, I feel, is more related to the Belton, uh, to the Sawan. It's very much Sawan story, and so the third one that's the, what's it, the Liber Gabal Aaron. Uh, is with the uh, Malaysians, the Sons of Mill. And I started on that last week when I was talking about some stories for uh, Belfina. And I briefly went into it and Furbolg regarded the Tour de Donne as a real cunning lot. That regarding, they didn't really understand them, all this stuff they did. They regarded them as wizards. They were all kind of wizards that did all magical things, even though they themselves thought, well, this is all mathematical, we've worked it out. It's as if they had a Babylonian tradition that moved through the Persians, through the uh, Noans, uh, and moved that way and eventually got here. But to uh, the people that were established here, they were the wizards. And so they were grandchildren of the Dagda, of the Doida. Um, and at that time, there wasn't a high king. There were three sons, grand grandsons, I suppose you would say. They were sharing the high kingship at that time. And really, I, I, I can't remember their names, but I do remember the names of their wives. Uh, Bamba, uh, for the uh, wife of the lad who was up in the north and northwest. And then we got Fiola, uh, for the lad of Meath and uh, down into the southeast. And then we've got Eriu for the rest of the country. So they're going to be quite uh, important in reverence at the moment. But on that story, it said that it's really with Eriu 
and her husband, which he was McGroin anyway, he was some guy called McGroin. They were with the people with uh, the fur bulbs and they noticed, they observed that there was a fleet of the sons of Mill Cummington. And stories that told in the text is, I think it was six sons, they were kind of leading a fleet of 30 ships and these people just mind their own business doing the farming and the ships invaded and so the um the tour de don amongst them said ah, ah sorry lads this breaks the rules of uh, of war uh you're gonna have to go away and do it again go away to the ninth wave and stay there for three days and let us put our own battalion together and then we can have a fair war and so somehow they managed to enchant uh, these sons. Emigan is certainly the one you need to know on this one and he was kind of like the peacemaker and he said okay right we'll do this come on lads we'll go to the ninth wave we'll stay there for three days but as soon as they get there the wizards of the Tour de Danon they actually managed to blow up this hurricane and it split these fleet of 30 boats around the coast they say from the estuary of the Boyne all the way round to what is Charlie right now. But Emigan said a famous poem, go and Google it, and uh, the waters flowed and they came ashore. And I gather that the, the two had done and somehow to group people together and they managed to group the people outside the Charlie, Sleeve uh, Mish, uh, in the sort of hills and the valleys there. And they, from there's various stories around this of how they were getting ready for the battle but there was this bush that was somehow very important to the Tour de Dan suddenly went up in flames and this bush and it's not very well described because it's not in the old text the Libra it seems to come from local folk stories uh, from the area I think Ducas.ie's got a couple of them and that somehow this burning bush, whatever it is, nobody knows, was it hawthorn, was it uh, some oaks or ash or apples, that the powers, the wizardry powers of the Tour de Dunan just went away and they couldn't do their trickery. So there wasn't actually a battle. Emigan sort of said, okay, let's get a peaceful re resolution for this. So they went off to Meath, into Mead, Ushnik, and there they decide what to do next. And Emigan, being a very fair sort of chap, I suppose, a fair lad, uh, said, look, why don't we just split this country into two? So there was this whole vision, okay, there's going to be the north and there's going to be the south and the division. But the proposal he made is, okay, what if we had all of the top, this top of uh, this land, of this island, and you have the underworld? And somehow that came into an agreement. And McMahon, who had actually brought the Tour de Donan, McMahon McGlure, who brought the Tour de Donan originally to the country, in an invisible mist, some stories say the mist was from the sky and landed. There's a couple of places in Leitrim claiming uh, where they landed. Corona's one of them. And uh, the other was that mist brought them in from the sea into the land before the people actually saw them. So they were surrounded by this mist and through this mist were taken through the swallow holes of the mountain so that it wouldn't be harmed 
by perhaps some trickery from these Malaysians. So there were in the underworld and magnanimous lure, he, he left some horses, special horses for them uh, that could live with them and transport them through the underworld. So up on the surface there was the Malaysians. The two of them were farmers. They were quite into their genetics. They had various farm animals. Even the cattle they had was really kind of a genetic result. And they had the crops. They were growing oats and uh, barley and uh, rye. I don't think wheat was in at that time. I'm not sure they could have been spelt. But these uh, Malaysians, it seemed they were forest people, woodland people. They were kind of managed, they did, they did sort of forage farming. They knew where the food was and they would look after that that was already there. They weren't used to this clearances, the idea of organized farming and cattle. They weren't really familiar with cattle and milk. So it seemed what happened was they didn't know how to grow the food. They didn't know how to breed cattle and bring forth the milk. So they thought, well, we need to get back with these two Dunan people and see how we do this. And so it said that there were these old stone cairn stone circles, how we can communicate with them in there. There didn't seem to be much success with that. But what they did discover was suddenly where these cairns and where these circles were, that these trees sort of came up and cracked the stones they were the hawthorn trees, and where there were hawthorn trees, there were springs of water. They still didn't know how to communicate, but what actually happened, they suddenly found that through calling for help, through their kind of a meditation or prayer, the message somehow got through to the underworld, and up came the little people. And the little people, it said, this is the whole mist from McNannan, would evolve into water. The whole thing with the fairies around the world with the little people, they come out of the water, the nymphs. Anything of the life force seems to come from the underground out through the wells, out through the water. And they would morph. And it was said that they would morph perhaps into rabbits or hares in their little burrows. And through the hares and the birds and the rabbits, that they would some they would germinate the butterflies, the bees. They would all go and pollinate and make sure that there's fertility and there's new life. And they found that that summer following that they did have grains, they did have enough food to eat, that the, the cattle did have calves, and because they had calves, there was milk. And so there was this wonderful word, symbolic uh, combination between the other world, the fairy world that was formerly of the Tour de Donan, and the association at the time when these trees, the hawthorn came, that they had the white blossoms and the white blossoms had a fragrance that teased the wombs of women, teased the wombs of animals, was just a whole teasing of fertility. And this seemed to be the entry of the fairies and the fairy race uh, into the world that eventually became Eriu, Erin. Now, the, 
sticking to the hawthorn and the flowers of the hawthorn I was talking last week about the maybush and uh, the maybush in its tradition was of the hawthorns when it was in flower but ever since that Pope uh, ch uh, in 1583 changed the whole calendar Gregory Gregorian calendar there was no hawthorn out on May the 1st but there were yellow flowers there were dandelions I brought all this out last week it was said to be unlucky that with the hawthorn you can't take it in anywhere but you can have a celebration with the hawthorn and because the hawthorn flowers were out not out the dandelions were then tied to the hawthorn branch, the hawthorn brush that people would carry, the children especially uh, would carry and decorated over the years with ribbons and it was fancy but the original tradition of this was this hawthorn, this bush was actually set alight. Now today with what's understood about the hawthorn that's like killing off life itself and as I was saying earlier with the Tour de Donnan their wizardry everything was stopped in their tracks by this burning uh, of this bush after the Tour de Donnan were actually sent to the underworld when you think about it what was left uh, on this island because along with the Tour de Donnan I assume the old fur bogs were sent there as well oh how did they merge but anyway we'll talk about this time of the year has been the time of reverence for the descendants. So where were the, who were the descendants thereafter on this island? And they would have been from the Malaysians, the most of the population was expanding from the, the brooding and breeding of these Malaysians. One thing in their heritage would have been that it was this fire that protected them from the wizardry of the Tour de Danon. So this burning bush was said to be to protect them from being overcome by the wizardry, as they call it. And as the Christian church came in, I think, maybe in the latter Druidism, uh, there was talk of protecting from the evil spirits and all, from the mischief of the fairies. So this was done as a cleansing but they eventually, and a long, long time ago, they stopped burning the hawthorn and instead built a bonfire for the cleansing. And they would build the two fires from this. And they would drive the cattle through so that the cattle would be able to continue to bear lots of calves, lots of milk, but be able to do so without any influence from the fairy world, that the fairy world wouldn't disease them, they wouldn't play their trickery. Because uh, the, amongst the demands, and this was quite interesting, you got the two of the Danon when they were actually on this uh, island, they were farmers and they had actually cleared land of woodlands, of forest, of the wildflowers in order to grow their crops. But here they are, part of the underworld, and they are demanding that some of the land is left for them to be wild, to have the wild flowers, to have the trees, because that's where they will emerge through the springs, through the burrows, and morph themselves into the animals and insects. Take that away, and there'll be no life for the fertility. Now, I think it's next week I'm going on to rewilding, so I'll continue that story 
a little bit uh, then. But uh, that the Maybush in itself, I love the way it changed its tradition from being burned to actually being honoured. And it was honoured in a way of fertility. And I, uh, last week I was talking about the children singing the rhyme, here we go gathering nuts in May. And of course that wasn't nuts. The nuts was nuts. Nuts being a description of a bunch of flowers, whereas a posy was actually a bunch of herbs, healing herbs, because uh, you may be familiar with ring a ring of roses, pocket full of posies. That's healing herbs against uh, the plague. But the, the actual knot, it was a gift of hawthorn flowers. And in the rhyme, well, who is going to get the knots in May? And it'd always be a woman's name, Siobhan maybe let's say Siobhan she's gonna get these nuts in May but who's gonna take Siobhan and her nuts in May and it'd be Seamus and eventually as these rhymes have said off goes Seamus and Siobhan or whoever the lucky lad and the woman is and off they go and uh, it's fertility time but th that was uh, the story I was brought up from that was much more of more drama because before we had transport, a lot of people didn't have fancy horses and of course in the ancient times they didn't have the cars or bicycles or public transport. They did, there wasn't any internet dating. So people tended to mate with each other in their own little village because the populations would be low. And the, the problem with that is you're going to get a family tree that goes straight up. And for human beings there's a big genetic problem in that. So it had to be overcome. And the way that was overcome, and it was a tradition when, even when I was a lad, it was still about that uh, people were, uh, well, it was the lads actually, uh, that at May time, well, when, and talking, it wouldn't be May the 1st because the hawthorn flowers wouldn't be out. Uh, it would be when the hawthorn flowers are out. There was sort of a, a whisper and a communication, a decision that they would gather the blossoms when they were sweet smelling because perhaps if you're familiar with a hawthorn after a few days they smell like a morgue but you get them when they're sweet smelling and they actually tease the wounds of women that is the time for the wooing so these lads they would gather up these blossoms and they would take them actually into the woods the place where the fairies would dance around, where the fairies would be available for the fertility, uh, that, uh, for the conception. And they would make a bed, perhaps with twigs and leaves and that, but they would scatter these flowers around. So that night, the lads would sneak over the hill to the next village. And the women were kind of expecting them, doors will be open and they would propose to the women to come with them uh, in the same way was who will be going with nuts in May. In fact they may well have been holding a nut, a nut of these hawthorn and of course that's a good way of wooing isn't it? Just put that under the nose of the woman that you're trying to woo and there you have the enchantment of the fragrance. Oh yes take me, take me, take me and so off they go into this bed of the hawthorn flowers 
and they would have their way and maybe the woman they're with has already got a partner and marriage those sort of things were sort of quiet but through doing so it would mean that there'd be a birth in the next village or a village over suddenly the family tree was not in a straight line it branched out and it spread around and that I believe is a tradition that sort of saved the human race as it is because it's not just a tradition exclusive to here think of the Inuits where uh, a lad might visit and uh, it's cold and the person they're visiting will say ah go and go and be with my wife for the night so this is and certainly in the Pacific Islands there's traditions like that so that is how the genetic variety uh, was made when you get to the Eddie Lenihan's and that um, and the Grimm's the Grimm's are very grim aren't they there's you think of Snow White and and Hansel and Gretel and those they kind of have a lot of devilish stuff and nasty things going on and there's bad people and so forth but the likes of uh, Eddie Lenihan and various storytellers when they talk about the fairies a lot of the stories seem to have the priests and uh, the fairies all in the same story and there is a story from here uh, the, the, um, of a priest not the one we got now but way way back probably hundreds uh, hundreds of years ago and at that time people would actually be serving the priest because they didn't exactly have money in their pockets it was all done by trade and barter so the people that were in the parish they would be providing the priest with some of their harvest so the priest could survive and would actually have the time to do priest stuff and not actually be in the fields themselves which is just like it was with the Tour de Don and the fur bogs, the fur bogs sort of did the farming and the, the Tour de Denon had the universities or whatever they had. Anyway this priest he was quite greedy and uh, he was demanding more and more uh, from the harvest uh, and what he was secretly doing was taking the milk, taking the butter, taking the cheese, taking all the grains, all the bread, all the fruit, all the apples and the vegetables and he was taking them off and trading them in the east in meath or mead and as he was trading he was trading with traders that were gradually building him this very fancy stone stone house mansion and this was just going on for years and this is what he was going to retire into and in this mansion he didn't just have a future or wife he had concubines uh, this man was going to retire young I tell you and he had these uh, concubines that he was going to go to but the local people just didn't understand why they had to produce more and more and more and then one time and I think it was uh, Belfner there was a black horse and there's various stories about the black horse uh, in Karakil and this black horse came from the direction of Karakil beautiful black horse shiny black horse and it came up to where the priest was living in the area and the priest saw the horse and said that's just what I need it's a beautiful horse to go with his mansion and the concubines and where I was going to going to retire to so he jumped on the horse and found that the horse had no resistance 
It's as if it was already his horse. And once he was on that horse, the horse, of course, they have aromas, but this aroma from the horse, it intoxicated him. And off they went, and the horse went charging, and it charged. No, this would have been uh, towards the first harvest. This is a lunar story, lunar story. And it charged through the gate. And it charged through the gate, it charged through the hedges, it knocked down the stone walls. The cows that were penned in, they escaped and they started eating the vegetables, they started eating the cereals. And this horse and this rider with a priest on it, they started trampling everything down. And this was going on through the night. Trample, 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 munch, munch, munch. And the following morning, the priest found himself on the steps of where he was living the horse had bolted, the horse had gone. And approaching him was the parish, all angry that the harvest had all been destroyed. They wouldn't be able to donate anything to him anymore. That They themselves were perhaps going to starve. But the priest, he didn't seem to care. He said, okay, I can retire early. So off he went. Uh, in retirement and really the people didn't want him around anyway after that he somehow he had become a, a sort of a dead priest a defunct priest so he went off to and looking very excited well I've got my mansion and I'm going to live happily ever after well where he got this mansion in Meath in order to build this mansion he had to clear away quite a lot of trees he had to clear away all the hawthorns there was not a hawthorn in sight there was not a wild flower in sight and the night he moved in with his concubines and the fancy food and this happily ever after castle situation that night he went into a heart attack and there wasn't a hawthorn anywhere there wasn't heart seize because hawthorn can arrest a heart attack very quickly so the fairies weren't present there was nothing no fairies around to heal him and he just passed away and from that story in itself is it's don't mess with hawthorns is part of it the hawthorns are there to denote this healing and when the hawthorns by the spring water observe that and observe the water it said that women before the Belfner time would look into the water with anticipation of the mates that they were going to meet that was going to come over the hill with the wild hunts the mates that was going to bring the hawthorn to them to lure them through their wounds and one point of the earliest story I didn't mention was when the uh, uh, Malaysians came over. It's, it's like every tribe, they have their queen, they have their, uh, like the bees, they have their queen, and theirs was Scotia. And uh, a similar thing happened to Scotia, like with the priest, that when the bush was on fire out there at Slimish, it was that point that their queen who was with them she actually passed away with a heart attack as well quite fascinating anyway I am overrunning again I don't know if it made sense but in my almost tailor the trees within the bathing in the fade's breath uh, I do have 
and I wish Claire was here to provide the music but with the isolation not easier I've got Who of the Hawthorns and uh, this is in the Akma that uh, starts at this time how we relate but when we relate to start with and learn to relate it's out of innocence and mischief and so this is related to some things I've gone through with you Who's the Hawthorne? It plays mischievous trickery if we attempt to define what's real and unreal. Till we discover it's not a question of how to live, but it's a question that is our life. Who the Hawthorne is full of riddles. It lures us, embraces us, then it hides. Fragrances flirt within wombs of women, triggering sparks of lustful longing of men to join them in the mating dance. From the circles and swirlings of dance, there's dances of wonder, hoping and lust. And who pulls away the blanket of time? It's a tease of the fairy folk, they say. The tease of the fairy folk, some ask around the hearth fires. The cackle went stoked with a thorn twig or two. Or my fire was lit, my bed was made. Of hawthorn flowers I'd gathered, it was far away from any home, but she came to me. It was night time, moon time, in the springtime, under the starlight, and we were beneath a hawthorn tree. She trod softly over the new ferns and shamrock towards my white chamber, towards my sweet bed, to rest her warm breast with me beneath the hawthorn tree. Now I'd always thought and I'd always been told never to touch the hawthorns for I'll forsake luck that a soul may pass from this earth early though the water will stop flowing throughout the land but there's something that I feel before I'm too old that I must lay with the hawthorn and it's here where I will bless hope and heal a broken heart Nobody knows what seeds a hawthorn tree and what sprouts its warning thorn. What sense embraces its blossom? We just know it came from long ago. And as hawthorn hands gripped into the earth, our eyes, our eyes glanced towards the sky. Well, thank you very much for this collection, which again seemed to go on forever. I hope. Uh, uh, you got something uh, from that and and thank you everybody for watching